You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. I was, um, I was walking out of the coffee company this past Wednesday and I ran into this local uh, pastor friend. And he is such a, he's such a humble, uh, a kind man. Uh, a lot of respect for him and the passion that he has to minister to his local church. But he has a problem. Um, and it's the kind of problem that he tends to wear for everyone to see. And see, this guy, um, he's, a, he's an Atlanta Braves fan. And... Um, as a Cincinnati Reds fan, I just have a lot of problems with that, but um, usually my Reds are really the most disappointing thing, but they're on a seven-game winning streak, so that's great. But regardless, I made some snarky remark about his uh, Braves jersey that he was wearing, and he laughed and began to tell me about this situation that happened to him a few weeks ago. Apparently, he's searching Facebook Marketplace, and he saw this really great deal on Braves jerseys. And if you don't know much about um, jerseys, like they usually cost like over, at least over $100 a piece. And so he told me there's this, there was this website link that was selling these jerseys for like $60 a pop. Great deal. So he made sure he would make this deal count, and he bought three of them. Uh, First week went by, nothing. Second week went by, nothing. Three weeks, nothing. And he finally came to the realization that what seemed like a great deal was actually a scam. And the jerseys never came, the website never responded, and now his credit card information is just floating around in the internet space. Yeah, uh, it's not a great deal. And I'd say for a lot of us, uh, we've been scammed before. At the very least, you've bought something that seemed like a great deal at the time, and then only later found out that like, it's kind of a piece of junk. The old saying is often right, like if it seems too good to be true, probably is. And yet you and I are confronted with the reality and promises of the word. You and I are offered a deal from the Lord that if we're honest, like it just, it seems too good to be true sometimes. Like, is he, is he really going to love someone like me? Is he really going to never leave me? Is, is he really going to take care of me? Is he really going to forgive me? Is he really going to offer me peace in this life and the life to come? Well, that, all of that just seems too good to be true, and yet it is not. The reality of the word is that the Lord is making a deal with his children, or more specifically, a covenant that we are called and chosen and invited into a covenant with God. And sure, the overwhelming reality is that oftentimes as we read through Scripture, it just seems too good to be true. 
and it's not. Let me show you from the Word what kind of deal, what kind of covenant God is really making with His people. What kind of covenant God's people are really in, and I promise, I promise is going to be worth the transaction. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel 20. We'll start in verse 10 this morning. If you have a digital Bible, read out of the ESV. If you have a bulletin, it's all there in the bulletin. Um, But before we read the passage, this is, unless the Lord changes my mind, this will probably be the end of this part of the 1 Samuel series. We'll pick up a new series next week. I decided that at the end of writing this message, so that just is a heads up, but Let's at least finish 1 Samuel 20 today, and let's pray together before we start. God, we come before you, and we do want to be in awe of what kind of covenant you make with your people. God, we do want to be overwhelmed with the promises of your word, that your love is a steadfast love. God, that you will not forget your children. God, I I pray, Father, that, that we are overwhelmed with this thought that it just feels too good to be true. And yet it is not. It really is, it really is as good as it seems, more than we can imagine. God, help us to be overwhelmed with your word this morning. God, give us grace as we um, tackle a large part of your word this morning, and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. First Samuel 20, I'll actually start in verse 10. Verse 10 says, Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. And so they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father, About this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to, to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And if I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die and do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. And when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. Say, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. What kind of covenant are we in? That's the question we will answer today, and what we discover in verses 10 through 17 is another covenant 
made between friends, this profound prophetic conversation between David and Jonathan, a covenant that will point us to a kind of covenant that we are in as children of God, if you actually are a child of God. So what kind of covenant are we in? Let me give you point one. We are a part of a covenant of gospel truth. Gospel truth. Verse 10 begins with this unusual question from David. Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? Well, come, let us go out in the field, Jonathan replies. So obviously, we've missed some of the story. Like, what's going on? What's the drama? Why is David back with Jonathan? Where's, like, why is there drama with Saul again in the passage? Well, we last left David back in Ramah. It's the high place or region about five miles north of Jerusalem. And when we last left David, he was on the run from Saul and company. Saul had once again launched a spear at David. Saul had once again threatened the life of David. And so this anointed king took off and he ran to the safety of the priest Samuel and he ran to the people of God and King Saul like he's just not having it. David must die. So messenger after messenger is sent to capture David, but the supernatural protection of the Holy Spirit stops them. And so Saul himself goes to capture David, but the supernatural protection of the Holy Spirit stops him. Like That's where we left off last week. David is in hiding. Saul wants him dead. And so as we enter chapter 20 today, it's interesting that the first thing that you see in verse 1, if you have a physical or digital Bible, you can look at it in verse 1. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came to Jonathan. Meaning, like David secretly returns back to the house of Saul, which seems absolutely crazy to me, right? Like we've got four death threats against David? Like, why in the world would he return home knowing that Saul was there, wanting him dead? Well, the obvious answer in the narrative is that David's best friend's at home. David's wife is at home. So, so to flee from Saul means to flee from his own wife, his best friend, both of which are Saul's own children. It's just complicated. Such is life, right? Life is very complicated. The anointed David is in this uncomfortable and dangerous dilemma. So he goes to try and make peace with Saul. And then if he makes peace with Saul, then he can stay with his wife and his best friend. Or he can flee from Saul and lose his wife and his best friend. So chapter 20 is this complicated narrative of David and Jonathan just trying to figure out what that plan is to move forward. And here's the plan. It's a very simple summary of, of chapter 20. Very simple summary of what happens next. So there's a festival coming up. It's called the New Moon Festival. It originated in Numbers chapter 10, verse 10. I'll read it to you. It says, on the day of your gladness, also at your appointed feast and at the beginnings of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. They shall be a reminder 
of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. So every first day of the month, the trumpets are blown over the burnt and peace offerings. This is a very important day with an important feast. So here's the plan. Jonathan will go to the feast with his dad. And if his dad notices that Jonathan isn't there, which he will, and he calmly shows Jonathan or David grace, then maybe everything's fine in their relationship. But if his dad loses his mind that David isn't there, and he wants David killed for not showing up, then David can be certain he needs to get out of town for good. And guess what? That's what we all assumed. Saul is he's still raging with, with evil and envy. Not only does he want David dead, but he also, as the chapter shows, he hurls a spear at his own son, Jonathan. Okay, so we got the answer. David needs to run again. But David's not at this feast, so how is David going to find out? Verses 35 through 42 show us. Jonathan, he takes a servant to the field. Arrows are shot in the sky. Very um, big picture summary here. Arrows are shot in the sky as a sign for David. Jonathan sends his servant to retrieve the arrows, and he shouts, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So it's kind of a coded announcement for David to flee. It's this narrative surrounding verses 10 through 17, but that's not our main focus today. Because we have arrived to hear news, we have not arrived to hear news that seems too good to be true. That's not hopeful, that's not promising. Our main focus is in a few verses, this profound conversation that happens between two best friends sandwiched in this narrative. A kind of conversation that reveals a covenant a kind of conversation that would point us to a greater covenant. So back to the beginning. Jonathan and David, they go out into the field to discuss this plan. Verse 12 says, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. It's important to know that this entire narrative, this entire conversation, this entire plan, this entire future of David is rooted in the words that are shared from Jonathan to David. Jonathan must find out the truth and share it with his best friend. And the Lord, the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, the God of his people will be witness that the word must be completely and absolutely true. And whatever happens next in this covenant will be built on a spoken word from a friend. Side note, yeah, I think we do need friends like that. We need friends that will not blow smoke. We need friends that will tell the whole truth, even if it stings, even if it brings us ruin, even if it's not the news we wanted. Jonathan was that kind of covenant friend. And yet we have a greater covenant friend in our Lord. It's the kind of covenant, a covenant of gospel truth that we first heard and believed. It's in Ephesians 1, verse 13. In him, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed 
with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So as God is my witness, there are not a thousand other ways to enter into covenant with God. Christianity is not inclusive. Yeah, I would say everyone is invited, but not everyone is invited to discover who they truly are. It is an absolute truth that invites you to deny yourself, to die to yourself, to take up your cross and follow Christ and Christ alone. Like that's not love is love. That's, a, that's an exclusive gospel truth. Colossians 3.3, 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So yeah, David, David is waiting on some life or death news from a covenant friend, Jonathan, and the Lord is offering you and I life or death news this morning. Deny Christ and you will eternally die. Hear the word of truth and believe in the gospel and you will live. That Jesus died for you, that Jesus rose from the grave for you. It's a covenant of gospel truth that we must believe. And likewise, a, a covenant of gospel truth that you and I must proclaim. Even Jonathan shares in verse 13, if you look at verse 13, if, if I don't come share this news with you, the, the Lord do harm to me. I will tell you the news. I must tell you this news. So yeah, we likewise proclaim this gospel truth. There is no other way that a man or woman can be saved. So we must, we must preach Christ. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 16. For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. It honestly seems too good to be true. That we are part of a covenant of gospel truth. In the, in the middle of fake news 2023. The middle of constantly revolving narratives. It's so difficult to know what is true, what's untrue these days. Proper journalism has died. Most news articles just feel like clickbait. It's exhausting. And yet... We're part of a covenant of gospel truth. It's true every time and for all time. It's, it's a truth that calls us to die and be born again. It's, it's truth that offers us eternal life. It's, it's truth that can and must be trusted. What kind of covenant are we in? I'd say even more clearly, point to you. We're part of a covenant of steadfast love. End of verse 14. It says, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And if I'm still alive, right, if I make it out of this mess alive, David, don't forget about me. When you become the rightful king of Israel, when you take down your enemies, don't forget about me. You loved me and I loved you as my own soul. Don't forget about me. Promise me, David. Verses 14 through 17 begin this prophetic word from Jonathan. A word that David will succeed. A word, a word that David will live. A word that David 
will become king and will reign and will conquer the enemy. And the simple plea of Jonathan is, please do not cut me off from your steadfast love. Not to spoil the rest of the story, but in 2 Samuel, David didn't forget those words. So let's just fast forward in time with me. Um, David's now king. David has conquered the enemy. David remembers the steadfast love of his covenant friend Jonathan. And it says this in 2 Samuel chapter 9, starting in verse 3. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's, he's crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, Well, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He's in the house of Machar, the son of Emil at Lodabar. King David sent and brought him from the house of Machar, the son of Emil at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I'm your servant. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore you to all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Paid homage, and he, he said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? The king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. A steadfast love that would not be forgotten. The crippled son of Jonathan. No hope for better days. No welfare system to take care of him. No family to raise him up. And David remembers a covenant. All that belonged to Saul. All of his house is now given to the son that can't walk. What a beautiful reminder of the gospel. That the steadfast love of David to Jonathan would not be forgotten. That's, kind, that's the kind of covenant that we're in. Not a fleeting love. Not a love that will last a few years. Not a love built on feelings. A steadfast love for a lifetime. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22. It says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're, they're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord has not forgotten about you. The Lord has not forgotten his covenant or his steadfast love. And I know it feels like that at times. I know we feel the words of, of the son of Jonathan like, what, what is your servant? How can you show steadfast love to, to some dead dog like me? Who am I? And as if the Lord is responding, I know exactly who you are. 
Because this covenant's not about me, or not about you. It's about me. I know who you are. I've not forgotten. What a beautiful gospel reminder. That you might feel empty and pathetic and worthless. You might feel like everyone who once loved you doesn't love you so much anymore. You might feel like you're impossible to love. You might just feel forgotten. David did not forget covenant, and neither will the Lord. His steadfast love for his children will echo into eternity. We are a part of that kind of covenant that you are fully, completely loved by God. His steadfast love has not, will not forget about you. So what, what kind of covenant are you in? Maybe point three. We're part of a covenant of eternal victory. So we see the final words of Jonathan this morning in verse 16. Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. I don't think Jonathan realized the full scope of what he's saying. I don't think Jonathan understood what would become of the house of David. I don't think Jonathan knew that this covenant would point to a greater covenant, but the words spoken from the prophet Nathan to David, 2 Samuel chapter 7, says this in verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him as a father, and he will be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Jonathan wasn't just making covenant with David, but the house of David, an eternal house, a covenant of eternal victory because Christ Jesus would take the throne of that house. He will conquer every enemy. He will take the throne of an everlasting kingdom. It's literally the Christmas prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah 9 verse 6 for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That the Lord will take vengeance on David's enemies. It's about 1 a.m. on Friday. Um, it's wide awake, couldn't sleep. My mind uh, was racing, and I grabbed my phone and began to scroll. Obviously, I've told other people not to do that, but, uh, and I know it wasn't helping my situation, but I did anyway. Anyway. And as I was scrolling, this 
this video popped up of a guy walking in a field. And as he was walking, he was giving this little motivational speech to men. Just keep going. You're doing okay. People love you. Don't give up. I mean, pretty standard motivational talk. And uh, not surprised by that at all. What I was surprised about were the comments. And there was literally guy after guy in these comments responding like, wow, I needed that today. You might have saved my life. Thank you for reminding me of what matters. I'm really struggling, so those words hit me. Comment after comment. So I get it. There are so many dads out there that feel like they're failing. Men that feel like they're never doing enough. Aren't providing enough. They aren't present enough. They're just not enough. This entire culture of men that feel like they're failing, an entire culture of men that feel like they're paddling in the deep end and about to sink. So encouragement is important, and I, I think we forget how powerful just simple words of encouragement are to those that are struggling. And there's a lot of struggling in this life. I get it. But here's the real plea to men. Quit making covenant with the things of this world and expecting to feel victorious. Quit making covenant with your job. Quit making covenant with your bank account, with the success in the world's eyes. It's a kind of life that leaves you chasing wind right over a cliff. No godly men make a covenant with the house of David. They make a covenant with Christ, the gospel truth, the steadfast love, the eternal victory. Because men do not need to hear that they're not enough, so keep trying. Men, everyone needs to hear, you're not enough. That's why Christ arrived. You don't need to try to become something better. You need to become something new. We are a part of a new covenant in Christ. So what's our response to all of this? What is our response? Well, I believe it's similar to the same response that we see in verse 17. Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. What's our response? It's love. We love the God of covenant. Love the Lord more than anything else. That's our covenant response. If you love the Lord more than anything else, then everything else is going to be okay. Even if your life doesn't work out how you thought it was going to work out, it's going to be okay. Love the God of covenant. That's where kingdom hope is found. Because at the end of the day, I mean, that's the best deal you can make.
Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for the truth of your word. And um, God would just constantly hit me this week of your steadfast love that David did not forget his steadfast love to Jonathan and Jonathan's family. And Jonathan's own son, crippled, just felt like he didn't deserve that kind of love. God, how much more, how much more steadfast love do you show us? It just seems way too good to be true. And it's not. It really is as good as it seems. And so much more. God, we are thankful to be a part of that kind of covenant. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.